Genesis chapter 28 as we continue our study through the life of one of the patriarchs, Jacob. Do you believe that angels are among us? One man named Walt Shepard does. And in David Jeremiah's book on angels, he tells the amazing story, divine intervention that Walt Shepard experienced. As a young man, Walt became depressed. He was ready to end it all. He was suicidal. And in the pre-dawn hours one Sunday morning, he accelerated his sports car up to 120 miles an hour on Interstate 10, just north of New Orleans. Ahead on the side of the road, he saw what was appearing to be an abandoned car. And here was his chance he had decided to end it all. And so he plowed his speeding vehicle into the back of that parked car. There was a terrific explosion as both of those vehicles burst into flames. And a manager of a nearby motel heard the, the crash and called 911. Walt's body had been shot through the windshield of his car. And there he was laying on the, the hood as flames erupted around him. He was unresponsive and unconscious. The highway patrol arrived on the scene quickly, but the fire was so intense that officers could not approach the vehicle to, to pull Walt off. But with amazement, however, the officers and the hotel manager suddenly saw two figures approach the car without hesitation. They said that the figures pulled Walt from the flames and then helped their rescue team load him into an ambulance and then the ambulance sped away to the hospital. The officers then wanted to interview the two unknown helpers to find out more about the accident and to get their statements, their eyewitness testimony. No other cars had been parked nearby, but as the officers tried to find those two good Samaritans, they had mysteriously disappeared. Now we'll find out later on in the message what happened to Walt Shepard. But I found in his story an interesting parallel to that of our patriarch Jacob here in Genesis 28. Because like Walt, Jacob was a man on the run. And by the time we catch up with Jacob in chapter 28, he is a mess. He was a runaway. He was a fugitive. But fortunately for him, God knows how to track down runaways, whether on the highway or even in our dreams. How many of you know that in the process of running away from God, we can actually run into God? Jonah ran from God, but he eventually ran into God in the belly of that great fish. The prodigal son left home, but he could not escape a father's prayers and father's love. Saul was running from the hound of heaven, but Jesus tracked him down on that road to Damascus. And here we see a similar scene in Genesis 28 as Jacob's flight leads to his faith. Now this is probably the most famous scene in Jacob's life. We know that Jacob was a schemer. We saw that in Genesis chapter 25. We know that Jacob was a trickster, but he was also a dreamer. 
And this scene explains why. For here, God reaches down to our prodigal patriarch and gives him an incredible dream of a ladder reaching down from the heavens. And here at his darkest moment, running from his past, God interrupts Jacob's life and changes his future. And I believe that this is Jacob's moment of salvation, for it is here that he experiences the God of his father Abraham and Isaac in an unforgettable, unmistakable way. And so in this message, we're going to study Jacob's ladder. That's the title of my message today, Jacob's Ladder. And we're going to look at this well-known story on two different levels. First, at the conversion experience for Jacob, and then as a model for how God pursues us. God pursues us graciously and relentlessly. The first thing that we see here, number one, is you are taking notes. We see Jacob's departure. Jacob's departure, which is a picture of the sinner. We're beginning in verse 10, and here's what the text says. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones of that place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. I wonder what was going through Jacob's mind as he makes this nearly 500-mile journey from the homestead to Haran. You see, all that lay behind him up to this point was broken relationships and broken bridges. I wonder if he worried about his aging father. And I wonder if a tear slipped down his cheek as he remembers saying goodbye to his mother. And by the way, if you study the life of Jacob, uh, he's not going to get home for a really long time. He won't even be there to see his mom and dad pass away from this earth. One of his head hung low as he replayed his shameful deceit. Perhaps a, a bullet of fear struck his heart as he thought about Esau's wrath and rage coming down upon him. Now Jacob's retreat is interesting if you study the, the geography of it because in a way it's kind of like a trip back in time because in these steps, he's retracing the path of his grandfather, Abraham, who was from Haran and came to the promised land that God said he would give him. And like many years ago, here we see Jacob retreading these old footsteps of his grandfather. But Jacob is going backwards. <laughs> he's not going forwards in faith at this point. Now this desolate setting of Jacob, where we read here that he pillowed his head on a rock, is a a really fitting picture of where the scheming and the plotting had brought him in life. Think of it. Here he is, shrouded in darkness, surrounded by a desert, under a sentence of death. Physically, he's in a barren, rocky wasteland in the middle of nowhere. Socially, he's separated from his family and loved ones. Materially, he has nothing to call his own except the clothes on his back. And spiritually, he is distant from God with no faith of his own. And friend, this is exactly the way I believe the Bible describes the sinner's plight before Jesus comes into their life and they are born again. 
They are in spiritual darkness. The sinner is under the death sentence of sin. They are utterly separated from God. And I believe as Jacob pillowed his head that night, this low point in his walk, it's beginning to realize here that he would never prosper on the basis of his schemes and his plans. And this desolate place is the ideal spot for God to break through into his situation. And friend, have you ever noticed that life's desperation often arrives with God's invitation? It's when you reach the bottom and you hit rock bottom and then you find out that that rock at the bottom is the rock Jesus Christ. Uh, Jacob was in a desert. He was in a, a tough place to be. But friend, God can take a desert and turn it into a place of deliverance. You ever been in a place like that before? When you can't break free from the sin in your life. Uh, when you're broken and you're tired of running. When life's bad choices have left you to one dead end after another. Jacob's departure. It's a picture of the sinner running from God. A couple years ago, our church was really involved in the homeless ministry downtown Asheville, least of these. And we would go once a month and we would minister to the homeless crowd downtown. We would feed them breakfast on Saturday morning and make sure they had clothing. And of course, we prayed with them and ministered to them. And on one of those mornings, I met a man named Hans. And Hans began to tell me his story. I asked him if he was a Christian. He said he was. I said, well, tell me, how did you become a Christian? How did you come to know the Lord Jesus? And he said that he started off as a young man with a promising music career. But he said that he only got a year or so through music school and he dropped out because he got hooked on heroin. He said that his addiction was so bad that he started stealing from his family members. So some of you who've had addicts in your life, you know what that's all about. He was living in his car, just living for the next high, the next fix, and he said that in the depths of that addiction, he decided that his life was meaningless, and that one night he was just going to end it all because his, his life had reached the bottom, his dreams were shattered, nobody loved him, nobody cared for him, he, he had nothing but burnt bridges behind him. So he said he made a, a meeting with his drug dealer. And he said he met him there in a dark parking lot. He bought what he said would be his last and most lethal injection of heroin. And he said he filled up the needle. And right about as he was going to plunge that needle into his arm, he said he heard a voice say inside his head, turn on the radio. Very strange, he said. So he put the needle down and he turned on the radio. He said it was the weirdest thing because when I turned on the radio, it went automatically to Christian radio. He said, I never listened to Christian radio at that point in my life. And he said as he listened, there was a preacher. This was like 3 o'clock in the morning. A preacher was on that radio station preaching. And he said the next words out of that preacher's mouth was, Don't kill yourself, there's hope in Christ. Can my God do that? Is my God capable can he speak to a sinner running far and far from him? You better believe he can. If I didn't believe it, I wouldn't be here this morning. And he said, that little man Hans, he told me, he said it was as if God struck him with a lightning bolt right there in that little car of his. 
He said he rolled down his windows. He threw his drugs out. And he said he repented bitterly, wept, and gave his life to Jesus Christ. And friend, I'm telling you, deserts and, and ditches and, and dead ends, uh, that's the kind of place where my God can come down and really do some work in somebody's life. Psalm 139, David said this. He said, where can I go from your spirit? If I go to the highest height or if I go to the depths of Sheol, thou art there. I don't know if you're running from God today. I don't know if you're in retreat or what you're trying to get away from. But God is there seeking you. Jacob's departure, that's a picture of the sinner. Then number two, I want you to see Jacob's dream. That's a picture of the Savior. A picture of the Savior. Verse 12, read with me. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to the heaven. Behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. And the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring, and your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of earth be blessed. And then verse 15, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Wow, what a passage. Think about it as Jacob drifted off to sleep underneath that starlit sky. God showed him that he was a lot closer than he thought. And what Jacob heard that night was a tremendous comfort to this man who was running for his life, looking over his shoulder, waiting for Esau's vengeance. The ladder and the angels moving up and down in that dream showed Jacob that he was under the protection and the provision of heaven. That God's heavenly host was watching over him and that God had promised him many great things. And so Jacob did not have to fear the repercussions of his brother. Now you'll notice that in that dream the Lord also reaffirms the covenant promise that he gave first to Abraham and, and then to Isaac. And this is especially critical when you understand who Jacob is, what his central character flaw is, is he's a trickster. He's a deceiver. He's not a nice guy. Jacob lived as a cheat because, as earlier we saw, he was a man who struggled living in faith, trusting God and taking God at His word. And so he consistently resorted to deception instead of waiting on God to fulfill His will His way. But God comes to him and confers this blessing to him. And think of when he does it. It's when he's asleep. You know why God chose to reveal that to Jacob in his sleep? Because God is showing him, Jacob, you can't do this by your own intelligence. It won't come by your own ingenuity or by your own strength or your own ability because it's my blessing and my promise to give and to take away as I will. And Jacob, you don't need to rely on lies and tricks to get your way. This is my promise. It's unilateral, not depending on what you do or don't do. I promise to give it to you. What a picture of God's 
grace. Jacob, a con man and a deceiver, and it is God who chooses this man to be the one in the messianic line. And so God is saying to Jacob here, hey, I know exactly who you are. I know where you've been. I've seen your rap sheet. You can't tell me anything I don't already know about your dark past. Stop running because I've got a plan for you. I've got a promise for you and I'll give it to you in my own power and in my own way. Stop running from your past because I want to give you an incredible future. And that's the message here that we see God giving of all people this trickster. Old friend, what does he know about your life? What does he know about your past? What things have you said and done and yet God in His grace has opened up heaven and blessed you beyond what you could think or imagine? We talk about dreams here in this text. And you know, God used dreams throughout the Scriptures to communicate His truth. Not only did God give Jacob a vivid dream, but He'll do the same for Jacob's son Joseph later on in this book of Genesis. When you get to the book of Daniel, we see God giving King Nebuchadnezzar a nightmare and then Daniel interpreting the meaning of that dream. When you get to the New Testament, we see Joseph. He's warned in a dream by God to flee the wrath of bloodthirsty King Herod and he takes baby Jesus and Mary to escape there in Egypt. Now, God's primary means of communication is through His Word. But do you know that there is remarkable evidence that still today God is speaking to people through dreams? And these dreams occur especially in places where Christianity is persecuted and where access to the Bible is limited. Listen to this. Recently, the Gospel Coalition reported the findings from a study done among Muslim converts all across the Middle East. Look at this coming up. Missiologists who conducted this study documented over 750 former Muslims who had converted to Christ. And they all said that their conversions were due to powerful dreams of Jesus. And in the same study, they estimated that upwards of 25% of conversions in the Muslim world today involve dreams slash visions. Is that not amazing? Now, one missionary who reported several instances of dream conversions is a lady that I learned about this week. Her name was Lilius Trotter. She served for 40 years in the country of Algeria, and her ministry took place in the last decades of the 1800s and then through the early part of the 1900s. And her ministry was among Muslim women and children. As you can imagine, her work was done among difficult circumstances in a hostile environment where Christianity was not welcome. And yet, in her diaries, in her memoirs, she includes several stories of people that she personally led to the Lord. And what nudged them in that direction was a dream where Jesus appeared to them. And Trotter documented all of these dreams in her diary. And she said one common theme among these people in these dreams was that Jesus always appeared to them in dazzling white garments and he preached to them that he was the only way to God. 
That is amazing, friend. Do you believe that God can do that today? Hey, I'm living testimony of it. I've been working on sermons as I've gone to bed. And I'm telling you, God has woke me up in the middle of the night and gave me exactly what I needed for that message. And I wrote it down and preached it the next Sunday. Hey, it doesn't matter if it's a dream or a song or a preacher or through His Word. You know when God is speaking to you. You know when God sits down right beside of you and the Holy Spirit is so rich and so thick. He speaks to you. It's unmistakable. It's a promise for you. It's a word just for you at that moment in your life. You didn't expect it. You couldn't have planned it. But you remember just as Jacob did in that desolate place. God came down and God spoke to me in that moment. Right when I was about to give up. When I was running away. When there wasn't no human answer to my situation. God came in. Somebody in this house better say amen this morning because God is real he speaks in the whirlwind and he speaks in the silence in the still small voice the Bible says in past times and through the ages God spoke to us through the prophet but in these last days he has raised up and spoken to us through Jesus Christ his son and friend, you know where you were and what you were doing when Jesus spoke directly to your heart. When He told you who you were and showed you what He wanted to do for you. Oh my. A lot of people think that this is about religion. That this is about something in a dry, dusty old book. But I'm telling you, my God speaks today. Through songs, through dreams, through His Word, through His Spirit. By the way, you should know that Jacob's ladder is an Old Testament type that pointed to none other than Jesus Christ. The promise that God gave to Jacob was that he would be included in the line of the Messiah. That God would give him a, a parcel of land and God would include him in that chain leading to Jesus Christ. And do you know that the ladder in this prophecy was actually about a person? Just as that ladder in the dream was a meeting place between heaven and earth, it's a picture of someone who was to come who would be that very thing. We see this fulfilled in John 1. Jesus calls Nathanael, one of the first disciples, to follow him in John chapter 1. And in verse 47, it says this in John 1. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. What Jesus is actually saying, if you could read it in the original language, is, Hey, here's a son of Jacob, and there's no Jacob in him. No trickery. No guile. He's genuine. What you see is what you get. And then notice how the rest of the Jacob's latter theme plays into this conversation that Jesus has here. Verse 48, Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. That's called omniscience. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you... <laughs> I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? And you'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, here it is. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And what Jesus is saying to Nathaniel is, hey, 
if you think that one little show of my knowledge is impressive, you keep walking with me. You keep hanging with me, and I'm going to show you things that will blow your hair back, brother. You'll see the angels of God coming down because I'm the living link. I'm the blessing. I'm the way. In other words, what Jesus is saying to Nathaniel is, I am that ladder that Jacob saw in Genesis chapter 28 in that dream. I am the living link between heaven and earth. I'm the only mediator between God and man. The angels go up and the angels go down because I made them and they follow my word. I know everything about Jacob. I know everything about you. And I'm calling you from mundane. I'm calling you from ordinary. I'm calling you from that old life into a new life with me and if you walk you'll see miracles you'll see the mighty hand of God you'll see things that you never thought were possible oh friend when you get Jesus in your life you get that ladder that brings you to God and God to you you see he's he is the ladder that bridges the way between God and man Because He's 100% deity, He represents the Father to us. And because He is 100% humanity, He can represent us to the Father. He is that ladder from which all the blessings of heaven descend into our lives. And He is the way that all of God's blood-bought children will one day ascend and to go be with Him. And just as Jacob's ladder came with a promise... Oh, friend, does Jesus come with a promise? He said, I'll give you a resurrection body. I'll give you a redemption. I'll give you a residence. I'll give you a reward that's out of this world. Just hang with me. Just walk with me. Just believe in me. And you'll see great and mighty things. Oh, my goodness. The one who knows the stars by name knows your name. The one who knows the number of grains of sand on all the beaches of all of earth knows the number of hairs on your head, friend. The one who knows all of your yesterdays has already looked down into all of your tomorrows. His name is Jesus. So you see, number one, you see Jacob's departure. That's a picture of the sinner. Then number two, you see Jacob's dream. That's a picture of the Savior. Jesus is the ladder. And then you see number three, Jacob's decision. And that's a picture of salvation. If I ain't preached yet, I hope that this will bless you right here. Verse 16, notice with me as we read together. And when Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. Friend, do you have to be in church to have an encounter with God? No. Verse 17, And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone. Oh, notice this. And he had put it under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on it on the top of it. And he called the name of the place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at first. And then Jacob made a vow saying, 
If God be with me and will keep me in this way that I and give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my Father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up as a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Oh, my friend. Jacob takes his first baby steps as a changed man when he woke up that next morning. And notice, he turned that pillow into a pillar of praise. That pillow of pain became a pillar of praise. In other words, it became a memorial to what God had done in his life on that holy patch of ground. The word play in the text is interesting. The Bible says the place where he was was known by the name Luz, which in the original language means separation. But Jacob said, God is in this place, and surely I didn't know it. So he renamed that location and said, from now on, this place will be known as Bethel, the house of God. So think about this. The man who was separated from God, the man who was running from God, now is in the house, the very place where he was brought near by grace. Have you ever seen God do something like this in your life? What do I mean? Have you ever seen God turn a hardship into a deeper place of relationship? You see, so powerful was Jacob's encounter with God in this wilderness experience that that stone pillow became a monument of God's rock-solid promise to bless His life. How often in life does God meet us in the wilderness where we're stripped down of every prop and God reminds us in that place of His presence and His promise and His power. And friend, I'm telling you that the place of barrenness soon becomes a place of blessing. Surely I didn't think God was in this place, but now I see that His hand is in it. I didn't see His hand in my sickness. I didn't see God's presence in my adversity. I didn't understand what God was doing when He sent me here. But oh, now I realize that God is in this difficult place. He's in this wilderness. He's in this barrenness. And this monument is not a testimony of the barrenness. It's a testimony of His faithfulness through it all. Oh my, where were you, friend, when God met you? Was it in the desert of addiction? Was it in a desert of affliction? Was it in a wilderness of wandering and want? Was it when you were jobless and friendless and aimless and hopeless? But thank God for a seeking Savior who knows how to track us down. He found Jacob in this barren desert. He found Gideon down in the bottom of a wine press. He pulled Joseph out of that pit. He proceeded to take care of Daniel in that lion's den. He found Paul on the dusty road to Damascus and said, You're mine. I've got a higher purpose for you. And how about when Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. And he met that adulterous woman there by a well. Friend, it doesn't matter where you are or where you're going. This is an omnipresent God. And He can find you. Uh, his eyes move across the earth. His hand is not too short to save. And thank God that He saves us from the guttermost to the uttermost. Somebody say amen in the house of God today. 
Oh my goodness. That place of affliction. That place of barrenness. That place of desolation. Jacob said, that's where God found me. And the thing that was a symbol of his hardship as he rested his head on that stone, now he lifted it up and said, God was here. And now it's a monument in my life to what he did for me. Friend, listen to me. Don't forget to remember. Do you put up a monument in your life when God comes through and God answers a prayer and God does a miracle? You better write it down. You better build a monument in your life, something to look back on. I can take you to the spot where God saved me. I can take you to the bedroom where God called me. Do you have a place where you can go back to and say, this is where God came down and changed my life. I didn't think He was here, but now I see it all along. By the way, notice how Jacob's faith made it all the way down to his pocketbook. Verse 22, And all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Let me just speak a minute to our people who don't tithe. Let me just talk a minute to people who don't have the faith to trust God with their money, but they say, I trust Him with my soul. Jacob made a vow. He said, God has changed my life from this moment, and everything that I give, I'm giving a portion of it back to Him. Adrian Rogers said it years ago. He said, a faith that hasn't reached your finances probably hasn't reached your heart. Stewardship is all about lordship. If God is the Lord in your life, He owns everything, including your finances. And friends, some of you say, I've been saved. But when they put you in the baptistry, every part got dunked except the wallet. And there's something wrong with it for somebody who says, I love God. I serve Him. I, I'm glad for what He did for me on the cross. But I won't give and I won't tithe. There's something wrong with it. It's a hard issue. It's not a, well, I don't have enough money to make it through the month. It's a, do you trust God issue? And who's really the God in your life? Your job, your paycheck, your boss? Or is it the Lord Jesus Christ? See, some of you need to repent right now. Some of you say, I've been saved and I've been born again. But it don't show up in your checkbook. And I'm not saying that because I need your money. Because I don't. But what God wants is your heart. God can't have your heart if you're clenching on to worldly things. And saying, God, I'll give you this and this and this, but I'm holding on to this. Jacob said, God changed me. Look, friend, when you have an encounter with this God, He changes everything about you, even down to the dollars and cents. That's why when I baptize, I say, I hold them under the water until they say tithe. <laughs> I don't bring them up until they say tithe. It's okay, you can laugh. I'm not serious. This is Jacob's first experience with God. His whole moment up to now, he lived on borrowed faith. He was raised in a godly house, wasn't he? He was taught by his dad's faith, but he never had a personal experience with the God of Abraham and Isaac. And sadly, the reality is, there's a lot of people sitting in church just like that. Oh, they were raised in church. 
Mom and dad took them. Grandma took them. They know the Bible stories. They can give you the right answer theologically. But in reality, they haven't had an encounter with God. They don't know about the power of God in their life. Friend, let me tell you something. God doesn't have any grandchildren. You can't piggyback off the faith of somebody else. You've got to have your own faith, your own walk. Being born into a Christian family doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. And you have to make that personal decision on your own. You have to have your own Bethel where God meets you and you meet God. Remember our friend Walt Shepard? Remember how we left him? He was being dragged from the flaming wreckage of a car by two unknown men. Walt began his months of painful recovery. He struggled with all kinds of bitterness and anger, he said. But in the hospital, he began reflecting on his upbringing. He'd been raised in a Christian home. He knew what was right from wrong. One day, sitting in that big old cast surrounding his body, he decided to pray. By the way, it's always a good time to pray when you're on your back. There's only one way you can look. And that's up. Sometimes God has to put us on our back before we'll surrender. He said in his prayer, Lord, I can't make it. I need your forgiveness. I need you to make me new, clean me up, and forgive me of my sin. Next morning, morning he said he woke up after the best night's rest that he'd had in years. His dad walked in. A police officer walked in police officer explained, sir, we're still baffled. We have no earthly explanation for how you survived that wreck. You should have died when you went through the windshield. You should have perished in the flames. And we can't track down those two men who pulled you from that wreckage. His father stepped forward and said, son, I think it's evident that you were saved by two angels so that you would have this opportunity right now to give your life to God. Walt said in his own testimony, he said, I believe angels rescued me that night, and God hasn't stopped working in my life since. You believe God can do that? I know God can do it. You see, the good news of the gospel is that there is a stairway from heaven leading down to earth. He came into Jacob's life. He came into Walt Shepherd's life. And that ladder that has reached down can come into that very heart of yours where you are sitting. That ladder, that way, that provision of Jesus Christ. As the Bible says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so I'm wondering here today, have you really had a Bethel? Have you really seen God in His power does he really change your life? Are you running? Are you far away? Are you playing a game? Our musicians are coming, and we're preparing for an invitation. And I wonder if anybody needs to come forward today, if anybody needs to give their heart and life to Jesus Christ, or if anybody needs to repent, or if anybody needs to have a greater measure of faith in their life. Maybe you're tired of running, and you want to stop. 
Maybe you've heard God speak to you in an unmistakable way about something in your life that nobody else knew about, but you felt like I was preaching right to you. That's not me. That's the Holy Spirit. You be obedient to God in this moment as we have our altar. If you need to come forward for any reason, for salvation, for recommitment, for baptism, for prayer, you come.